Stallion. So when I speak, I like to have my hands free so I can speak with my hands. That's a lie. I'm nothing Italian whatsoever. Just to <laughs> my last name is German. Maybe that's why I'd like to. I don't know. Very quickly before I share what I want to share this morning, um, <coughs> the, the Elevation Church planted a church at Yamba, and there is a a guest evangelist from New Zealand. Daz, I've got some flies here. He is going to be speaking on the 26th at 4 o'clock in the afternoon down at Yamba. Um, so if anybody's interested in, or you know anybody in that area, uh, they, they've only got a small hall, so they've said we're specifically looking for uh, non-believing people to be brought along. So they don't want to fill it with a bunch of church people having the second sort of gathering on the Sunday. They're really hoping for people that don't know God, don't understand the, what Jesus did for them on the cross, and they're wanting to bring them in. So I'll uh, just leave those here on that seat. If anybody's interested, they can, they can grab that. If you know somebody down that way or somebody that might be interested in going and hearing uh, this guy. <coughs> I don't want to take this morning. I say every week, and then I do. Um, look, I, I was going through Google the other day. Um, I don't know if anyone's like me. I like funny things. I like to find funny things. I think I'm a big believer that uh, uh, mentions in Proverbs that um, you know, laughter is like a medicine. And uh, it's actually scientifically proven that when we laugh, it releases certain endorphins and, and, and things into our bodies that are good for physical recovery and so on. It's a, it's a scientific fact. But before science discovered it, it was written several thousand years ago uh, in the Bible. In the book of Proverbs, it's funny, it's, it's great. We live in a world where science and archaeology are catching up with things that were actually written in these ancient documents thousands of years ago. Um, but anyway, I was, I was going through and I found some, some images of... Um, I typed in tattoo fails, epic tattoo fails. So I just want to flash a couple of pictures up on the screen here, if we can see them. I don't know if you can see that. It is my life by John Bovey. Anyone ever, anyone a fan of John Bovey? Remember the band John Bovey? They're coming to Australia at the end of this year. And anyone remember the song, It's Is My Life? No? Uh, that, I, I'm, I'm going to have a stab in the dark and say that is one decision that man must be regretting. And probably more so now that it's on Google Images and billions of people are seeing it. Uh, I couldn't find the name, so I can't tell you who it is. Uh, next one there. <coughs> I don't know if you can see that because of the light, it says... No regrets. No regrets. What he should have said is no literacy skills. No regrets. R-A-G-R-E-T-S. I don't think that's true, brother. There's got to be some regrets attached to that. I think I might have had one more there, did we? Oh, that one says some regrets. So that's another regret. I'm a guy that has some regrets. Uh, and there's one more there. I'm awesome. Plus, I cannot spell, just like my brother who had no regrets on him. I'm awesome, A-W-S-O-M-E. You ever made a silly decision like that? You ever, uh, might not have been a tattoo, but you might have made a decision in the spur of the moment, a choice to do something, and uh, perhaps it backfired. Well, backfired for you. Your friends thought it was fantastic. Uh, that's the good thing about having friends. They'll always bring those things back to your attention, remind you of the silly mistakes and choices that you made. Um, 
But we've all made mistakes. We've all done things that uh, we wish we hadn't done. And there are different and varying levels of consequence. These, these ones here are probably not too bad because if they want to, they can get laser therapy, take them off, or maybe they can wear a, just wear a shirt and cut, you know what I mean, cover it up or a, you know, a, a, a scarf and cover the no regrets on the back of your head or whatever. But there are other choices that people make that have bigger consequences. I want to have a look at two fellows in the Old Testament today, or particularly one. Uh, it was a young fellow by the name of Esau. Esau and Jacob were brothers. And they grew up in the same home. Mum was really, really uh, attached to Jacob, if you read the story. She was, she, her favourite son was Jacob, and of course Dad's favourite son was Esau. Esau used to go out and kill the animals and come on in and, and uh, you know, bring his game home, and his dad loved the, the you know, buffalo steaks and all that stuff that, that he used to bring in in the day. One day Esau's out, and he's doing his thing, hunting, and he comes to the house, and his brother's there, and his brother's cooking up a, a meal. And we pick up the story in Genesis 25, and verse 29 to 34, go like this. It says, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary, he was tired. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary, I'm tired. Therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. But Jacob said this, he said, Sell me a birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? What is this birthright to me? I'm actually about to die here. Right now, in this very moment, who cares about the future? Right now, in this very moment cares about something that's down the track. Right now, I'm about to die. If you don't feed me, I'm just going to cark it on the floor and you're going to have to call the the, the, the morticians or whatever and you're going to have to deal with this and fill the paperwork out. So it's in your best interest, feed me, because I'm about to die. I feel like he wasn't about to die, just a thought. (laughs) Anyone with me? I'm reading that story going, I'm just getting the impression you weren't just about to die. But somewhere in him, it's this big dramatic thing and I have to have this stew right now. I don't care what it's going to cost me. I don't care what I've got to give up. I'm just living for the now. Doesn't that sound so much like young people these days? I'm not picking on you young people, by the way. It doesn't sound like any of you young people, but it sounds like other young people who just want to live for the now. It's all about now. No thought to the future, no thought of the consequence. I, 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 I don't go on Facebook, but... Um, my, my wife goes on Facebook and keeps tabs on everything. Um, parenting tip, be friends with your kids. You'll learn a lot about where they're going, what they're doing. There you go. And so my wife's on there. And anyway, she came across this young person put a blog. Every now and then she'll say to me, you know, you should go on there and you should have a look at this. And I don't go on and look at a lot and I don't comment on a lot of stuff. But I felt the need to comment about this particular blog that this young person had written <coughs> because it was put out there. And what amazed me was the thumbs-ups and the comments from people that amazing this, this, this blog was. And I get it. There was some good stuff in there. But the premise of what this person was talking about was not that great. I'll just read a, a snippet of it. I, I, I copied a little bit of it. It was a blog about choices. And he said, oh, wow, I can't see any of you, and then I can. And then I can't, and then I can. But then if I'm here, I can't see anything, and then I can. Then I can't, then I can. <laughs> and this is what he wrote. He said, if you hate studying and don't want to go to uni, then don't do it. 
okay? If you don't like the way you have to change or act around a certain group of people, then don't put yourself in that situation. Fair enough. If you don't enjoy the party scene, don't like drugs or alcohol and don't like being in that type of atmosphere, stay away from it. Likewise, if you do like or enjoy something but others are against it or judge you, who cares? Do what makes, in capitals, you happy, not them. Do what makes you happy, not them. I couldn't resist because there was more to it. That's just a snippet. But that was the whole premise of it is you need to do whatever makes you happy. That's it. Now, here's the truth. Nobody actually believes that philosophy. I don't care whether you sit in my face and you tell me you do or call you a liar. You only like it when what somebody else is doing that makes them happy doesn't make you unhappy. Because really, if, 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 if that was a valid philosophy and we really believe just do whatever makes you happy, if what you did that made you happy made me unhappy, I'd have no right to be mad at you because you're doing exactly what I believe, that you just do what makes you happy. So how can I be angry at you doing something that makes me unhappy if it makes you happy? Because I'm out there saying to the world, just do whatever makes you happy. Don't worry about other people. Do what makes you happy. So I just felt the need to get on and go, look, let me add a thought to this. What if what makes you happy has really bad consequences on other people? For example, flying a plane into a building makes them happy, but has consequences on other people. Or what about the, the mother or the father that live at the RSL club and gamble away their whole wage and then can't feed the children, but made mum and dad happy? So, so it's not a real good philosophy to have. The fact of the matter is that my actions have consequences not just for me, but for those around me as well. Yeah? And so if I just want to live a life that makes me happy, not only is that selfish, it's extremely destructive for the society in which I live and the people around me too. So anyway, I just chucked a little thing on there. And then the person that wrote the blog emailed me and said, oh, thanks for stealing my thunder because all of a sudden all these people agreed with what I was saying. It's so fickle. Thumbs up for what you said and then, oh, no, yeah, thumbs up for what you said. It's like, well, which one is it? Come on. Just stand for something. Know what you believe. Anyway, Jacob <laughs> goes, tell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau says, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and stews of lentil, and then he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Once again, I mean, if you're about to die, and someone gives you something to eat, you're right on the edge, you're on the cusp, you're on the balance, and someone gives you food, you don't just get straight up and go, okay. You know, something's wrong here. He's just living for the now. He's obsessed with the now. Whatever the need is, whatever the desire is, whatever it is about now, that's what he wanted. What he didn't realise is this. My present is linked to my future. Just as my present is also linked to my past. Galatians puts it this way. The writer of Galatians says this. He says, don't be deceived. Whatever a person sows, that he will reap. Do not be deceived. Somewhere in the Galatian psyche, the the, the mentality of the, the church there in Galatia, there were some people that were thinking that I could pretty much do whatever I want and won't reap anything from it. I can live however I want, think however I want, do whatever I want, live for the now with no thought for the future and still get exactly where I need to be. It's just simply not true. He says to them, the writer Paul says to them, do not be deceived, 
whatever a man sows, he'll reap. Whatever. Whatever you put in the ground will grow eventually. Whatever you do, it'll have a way of finding its way out there and somehow getting itself enmeshed in your future. Now, most are not going to have the testimony of Esau. Esau, for a bowl of stew, gave away his future. Now, now, I don't think Jacob, again, it's just a theory, I'm hypothesising here in front of you. I don't think Jacob would have ever won master shit. I don't know that his stew was that good that you would go, bowl of stew, birthright. Bowl of stew, Birthright, stew, birthright, which one? Uh, forget that, give me the stew. I don't think that his food could have been that good that, that Esau weighed it up with full understanding and said, I will throw away my future because your stew is world class. You should be selling that in supermarkets. Let's get Jamie Oliver to start marketing Jacob's stew. The red stew. I don't think his food was that good. As a matter of fact, it goes on and it says this. It says, Jacob gave Esau bread and stews of lentil. Then he ate, drank, arose and went his way. And it says this, thus Esau despised his birthright. The problem was that Esau did not care enough about the future to think about his decisions in the present. If it makes you happy, do it. Whatever you feel like, you know, do it. Without thinking, Future. You know what his birthright was? A birthright represented, back in those days, it pretty much represented three simple things. Your birthright represented your position, your power, and your possessions. It represented your position because if, if the father passed away, the eldest son then became the man of the house. If your father was the king and he died, then the eldest son stepped up the throne and he became the king. So there was a position waiting down the track for him. If he hung on to his birthright, made good choices, didn't just live for the moment, there was a position for him down the track. There was possession involved. As the eldest son, when dad passed away and all the, 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 the money and, and inheritance was divided, he got a double lot. Everybody else got one portion. He got two. So his possessions were tied up in that birthright as well. He had possessions down the track that he gave up because he wanted to eat a bowl of stew. Just didn't think about it. And there was power in the birthright as well. Like I said, you not only stepped up, your father was the king and died, you didn't just step into the place of being the king, you now had the king's authority because you were the king. If you stepped up as head of the household, you had the authority of the head of the household. So when I say power, I'm talking about authority. There are things down the track in your future that are there for you. That you can have possessions. There's a position down the track for you later in life. A testimony of who you are. That you'll be able to speak into the life of those around you or speak into the next generation. Because been there, done that. Now here I am, towards the back end, in my future. I've kept my integrity intact. I've walked right before God. I've walked right before people. I've, I've lived my life with integrity. And with that, comes authority. I'm in a position where I've made it, I've done it right, I've got authority to speak to the next generation, I've got authority to speak into the lives of my children, authority to speak into to younger people, authority, because, you know, I've done this well. I've walked the path well. 
Most of us are not going to lose that birthright or lose that future because of one big decision that we make. Most of us don't do that. Some of us will. I was at home a couple of years ago in my garage um, and I was, I was stripping a, a bike back for one of my children. I was making a push bike. And my phone rang. And I picked up my phone and, uh, sorry, it, it buzzed, like a text message. I picked it up and all it said on my screen was, I'm going to kill myself. I didn't know who the number was. It was a, a number I didn't know. And straight away I thought, what do I do? I, I don't want to ring this person because I don't know what's going on at the other end of the line. I don't want the phone to buzz and to panic and do something. So I text back and I said, um, um, you know, uh, could I talk to you? Would you be interested in talking about this? Who, who, who is this? Who am I talking to? And they text back and said, yes, I'm happy to talk to you. And I text back and said, well, can I ring you on the number? And they said, yes, you can ring me. And I rang them up. And I answered the phone. It turned out to be a very, very good friend of mine. He'd, lost, he'd gotten in business, lost his phone, got a new phone. I didn't have his number. Hadn't spoken to him for a couple of years. Probably three years, maybe four years. <laughs> Relationship broke down at his end, not mine. He... And I said, what's going on? And he says, well, I, I, I was at the office and things haven't been going really good at home with my wife. And so I've been staying back at the office a little bit later each day. And there's a person there, a female, and, and she was so easy to talk to. And we started chatting and talking. And, and before you know it, one thing led to another and I'm having an affair. I couldn't deal with it anymore. So I went home and I sat down with my wife. And I opened up to her and I said, and as you can understand, she went ballistic. One decision cost him his marriage, cost him his daughter. Relationship has never been the same with her to this day. Most of us are not going to make one bad decision like that. But then if we have a good think about it, was it one bad decision or was it a series of smaller decisions that led to that? See, in the Bible we get this story of Esau and we get this picture of a man who made one decision and it cost him his future down the track. One decision, because he wanted to live in the now without any understanding that my present and my future, it's like a chain. It's linked together. And what I do now has an impact on my future. The choices and decisions I make now will have an impact, whether I like it or not. It's going to have an impact down the track. So if that's the case, then I think it's really important that I establish a series of good choices and good habits in my life Right now, because I don't want to be somebody that doesn't think about the future now. So here's the thing. In Matthew, Jesus said these words. And some of you probably sitting there, you might be thinking about this. Jesus said these words. He said, do not worry about tomorrow. Everyone know that verse? <laughs> do not worry about tomorrow. What you think? What? He didn't say, don't think about tomorrow. He did not say, don't think about tomorrow. He said, don't worry in the Greek, that means be anxious, stressed. Don't stress, worry, be anxious for, for the needs that you have for your Father in heaven looks after you. He'll take care of your needs. He's not saying don't think about your decisions. He's saying God, your Father, is aware of what you need. He'll look after you. But nowhere in the Bible does it say don't think about your choices and don't think about your future. Don't think about where you want to be. I hope everybody in this room, if you're married, do you have a picture of what you want your marriage to look like? You've got some young couples here recently got married. I would, I would encourage you, get a picture for what you want your marriage to look like in 10 years' time. What's it look like in 10 years' time? And then once you've got that picture, think about the steps that it's going to take to get you to there. And also be aware that 
A series of bad steps can take you away from that. What do you want your financial future to look like? How many people, uh, how many people didn't think about their financial future when they were younger? We just go through the motions. You get whatever you get that week, you just spend it. You know, just spend it, spend it, spend it. And then one day you sit up and you go, "Hang on a second, I've got X amount of years left. I've got X amount of super. Um, all these dreams and things I thought I would do, I, I, I didn't think of it." How many people thought they'd be able to run the 100 metres in 12 seconds flat for the rest of their life? Rob. (laughs) Well, you know what? If we want to still be doing that at your age, you know. um... (laughs) But if I want want to be able to do things down the track, it's amazing how many people think about, you know, when when I retire, I want to do this, and then they get there. But because we haven't looked after our health, maybe, we we can't do those things. We can't do those things. For most of us, it's not going to be one big decision that that, that sabotages the future God has for us or, or, or leads us away from that. It's going to be a series of small decisions that we make every day. What are the small decisions that we make? I might sit back and go, well, you know what? I've never committed adultery on my wife. I've never cheated on her. I've never put myself in a position to do that. But do I prioritise time with her? It's a little thing. Do we connect each day? Do we have a date night? Do I listen to her when she speaks? Little things. Little things. But if I get those little things right, then they'll help me get to that end future that I want in my relationship. It doesn't matter what it is. What are the pictures for the different areas of your life that you have down the track? Don't wait till you get there and go, well, then I'll think about it. I was having a chat with one of my sons the other day. And he's just got an apprenticeship and signed up to, you know. And I tried to to, to explain to him just something simple. Like, why don't you start right now? You've you've got this job. Why don't you start putting, say, for example, uh, an, an extra $10 a week into your super? Just a simple thing. Now, don't all go back to the crash and go, that's a silly idea. I'm, not saying, I'm just using it as an example. What I'm trying to say to him is, you know where you want to be when you retire. You know what you want your life to look like. Don't wait till then to make it happen. What little things can you do now? What little choices can you begin to make now to, to give you the best chance of being in that position later on in life? Because we're not all going to lose our future because of a big decision like Esau. Most of us don't get to our required destination because we don't realise that it's the smaller choices that sabotage most of us, not the big ones. It's the little things that pull most of us off track. It's not going to be the big ones. I've got a mate of mine, and we went to school together. And he was the popular guy, you know, the popular kid and everybody's friend and all that stuff. One night, he thought it would be cool to be drunk and off his face on drugs and chuck two young girls in a car with him and give him a lift home. The two young girls are now dead. He's in a wheelchair. One decision. One decision. And people look at him and he goes about and he's he's, he's turned it around a little bit now and he goes into schools and he he lectures, he can barely talk. But he sits in front of these kids in a wheelchair and talks about that one decision, how stupid it was and and, and no foresight, no thinking down the track. And he tries to encourage kids, you know, stay away from this sort of stuff. But again, most of us have already decided not to make that one big decision. Most people in this room, you've already decided, 
I'm not going to rob a bank. Hands up if you've decided not to rob a bank. Marianne, I'm watching you. We've decided not to do that. How many married people here have decided that, that when I said for better or worse, or death, I'm, I'm going to put everything I can into that. I'm not going to cheat my, my husband or wife. Who's made those decisions? Oh, lucky. You know, you looked at each other to make sure if not, you got, that's your conversation over lunch today, right? Most of us have made the big decisions, but it's the little decisions. It's the series of little decisions that we need to make. If we want to make it to that, that future, that place that God has for us, it's little decisions. Here's, here's, how I, here's how I think life works. Here's how I think it works, right? Consistent decisions create habits. So a consistent decision to get out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning. Consistent decisions create habits. How many of you have made little consistent decisions in your life? And you started doing something, and now it's not so hard now. Now it's a bit more natural. It's a bit of a default now, you know? Um, when I used to work at Dan Murphy's, um, <coughs> I would, you know, early morning starts, the early, early sort of starts, you'd be up at, uh, by 5 and be in the, the office there at 6. I've never been a morning person. But you know what happened was when I was working at Dan Murphy's, something happened, and I began to be a bit more of a morning person. Even to this day now, I'll still be awake. I mean, I'll lay there, pretend I'm asleep, so that Jackie doesn't ask me to do anything. <laughs> but, but I'll be awake, and I'll lay there. You know? Let the cat out of the bag now, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but it was funny, because I set an alarm, and I made myself get out of bed, and then after a while, it just becomes normal. It's just a little decision, you know, simple little decision. Consistent decisions, when we're consistent with decisions, they can create habits in our life. And habit, by the way, is not a dirty word. You've got habits in your life. Some of them are really, really good habits. Some of them are really bad habits. Habit itself is not a dirty word. What are the habits that you have? Well, the habits that you've got probably started with consistent decisions. Okay? We make consistent decisions create habits. Habits create this thing in our life called momentum. Anyone ever heard of momentum? Momentum is a great thing. Momentum is a good thing if the habits are good. Momentum can be bad if the habits are bad, though. Okay? We make consistent decisions to do something. After a while, those decisions, they become habits. Habits create a bit of momentum in our life, a little bit of something behind us, pushing us. Things get a little bit easier to do. If they're good things, that's a great thing. If they're bad things, that's not so great. But consistent decisions create habits. Habits create a sense of momentum in our life. When we've got momentum, things become easier. And the more momentum that we have, the harder it is to stop something. Here's the challenge. What are the consistent decisions you make that have created habits in your life that have now got momentum? Are they good or are they bad? Because those consistent decisions and those habits that are giving you momentum are pushing you towards the future. They're pushing you towards the future whether you realise it or not. The problem is most of us get into the future then we go, oh no. Oh no. It's never too late but it certainly becomes harder. It certainly becomes harder. There's a guy called... um, Phil Baker, I don't know if any of you have heard of him. Phil Baker, he pastors a church over in WA. I went to a men's conference once and I heard Phil speak. Brilliant communicator. Phil got up and he, he, he shared this story with us and I never forgot it. 
He said, when I travel around the world a lot, he said, you know, the, the, you travel around as a speaker and he said, there's temptation there and, you know, because you've got this position of authority, people are always trying to catch you out, um, you know, and he said, in particular, he said he finds a lot of, a lot of ladies. He goes around and, and the ladies want to come and sit and speak and so on. He's very, I've got to look after this and, and, and protect myself and those around me and so on. And he said, here's how I protect myself in those moments. <coughs> he said, I've got a picture in my head. And he said, here's how the picture goes. I see a green grassy field. It's the backyard of my house. And on the grass is this massive big table. And on the table is all kinds of food and drink. And Around that table are a whole bunch of chairs. And I'm sitting at the head of the table and just here to my right is my wife. Then I look across and there's my daughter and there's her husband and there's my, my other daughter and, and there's my son. And, and then not only are my children there, but my grandkids are there as well. And then toward the back end of the table are my, my older grandkids with their little ones. So my great grandkids are there as well. And he said, I sit back and I look at that picture. And then I tell myself one bad decision and I lose it. One bad decision. And I have the potential to lose it. A little bit like Esau. One bad decision. Problem is, he didn't have a picture. But he had plenty of excuses. Later on, he goes on and he says, Oh, this Jacob, this deceitful one. First, he stole my birthright. Then, ah, hang on. You didn't steal it off you. You didn't steal it off you. Esau gave it to him. No one can take your future away from you. But you can surrender it. You can surrender it with the choices that you make. So the question I want to leave you with today, the thought I want to leave you with is this. Do you have a picture of those important areas of your life? Do you have a picture of what you want them to look like? What do you want your marriage to look like? Well, you know what? You'll get there by making consistently good decisions between now and then. Don't think it'll just happen. What do you want your financial future to look like? Save today or spend today? Your choice. Your choice. What do you want your health to be like? Sit on the lounge or go for a walk? Your choice. Your choice. Your choice. What do you want your relationship with your children to be like? Time with them or time by yourself? It's your choice. It's your choice. But understand this. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Don't wait till you get to the end to look back and go, oh, I wish, if only. Draw a line in the sand. Make a decision today that you're going to make consistently good choices. Those consistently good choices will become habits. Habits in your life will create momentum. Momentum will help you get to where you need to get with the least resistance. Amen? I'll finish with this verse here. I believe Jesus did this. Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says this. <laughs> Speaking of Jesus... It says, looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, watch this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. I pray your marriage is a joy set before you. Amen? Your future relationship with your children, I believe God wants it to be a joy set before you. Your financial future, your, what you want to do, I believe it's a joy. That's set before you. God wants it to be a joy set before you. 
Jesus, it says, because of the joy set before him, he endured. And he had to make some tough decisions. And he had to make some hard choices. But he created some habits in his life. Anyone remember when Dan Joy was here recently from INC Invest? I loved, he reminded us of the Karate Kid. Remember the Karate Kid? Remember that movie? Karate Kid, this dude, he, he, Mr. Miyagi, is going to teach him how to fight because he's getting bullied. <coughs> and he gets him to do these things. He comes to Miyagi and goes, right, I want to, to you know, um, teach me karate. Miyagi goes, no worries, okay. So um, here's the floor. Here's a couple of polishing rags. Get down on your hands and knees and polish the floor. He's like, what? What has polishing the floor got to do with karate? He said, just polish the floor. So he gets down on his hands and knees and he polishes the floor. And this goes on for days. Then when he finishes polishing this whole deck, he goes, right, Miyagi, let's you know, teach me karate now. Miyagi goes, yes, I am. Here's a paintbrush. Go paint the fence. He's got this massive big fence. He's like, well, what is it? Paint the fence. He goes and he paints the fence over and over and over. Repetition, repetition, over and over and over. And he comes back and he goes, right, I'm, I'm ready now. And he says, no, no, wax the car. <laughs> he's got four or five cars in his yard. I said, dude... So he starts waxing the car. One day he's just had enough. He throws everything down, he confronts me out, he goes, what has this got to do with learning karate? Seriously. I'm polishing, you're getting free slave labour out of me. You're teaching me nothing. It's just labour, slave labour. And Miyagi goes to him, paint the fence. And he goes, what do you mean paint the fence? He says, paint the fence. He goes, no. He goes, no, paint the fence. Polish the floor. No! Polish the floor! You know? Wax the car. No! Wax the car! Horn! Hoff! Horn! Hoff! Horn! Hoff! And he starts doing this, and then Miyagi starts throwing a few jabs at him, and he goes, Wax the floor! Polish! Paint the fence! And he starts blocking him, and like this. All this repetition, all these things he was doing were the very things that at the end of the movie fights the big bad dude. And guess what? He wins. Why did he win? Because he painted the fence. As boring as it was, he just painted the fence. He waxed the floor. He polished the car. And all those habits, all those things built to a future where he overcame and he won the tournament at the end. Let me, let me, let me, let me just throw this in before I close. Prayer is a habit. It is a habit. Stop waiting for fluffy feelings before you decide to get prayer into your life. Stop waiting for it. Might not happen. Opening up this book and reading the Bible is a habit. Stop waiting for lights to shine. Some days I pick it up and I read it and I don't feel like I've just had illumination and it'll change my life. But it's amazing down the track when I'm in a situation, the Holy Spirit brings it back to my attention. I go, oh, wow, I just read that, didn't I? Reading your Bible is a habit. Let me throw this one out there too. Attending church is a habit. By that I mean coming to a gathering and fellowshipping with other believers is a habit. Habits are easy to get into. They're just as easy to get out of. Just as easy to get out of. Okay? For me... Prayer, fellowship and Bible reading is like waxing the floor, painting the fence, polishing the car. <laughs> Don't always feel great, but those things together, over time, consistent 
decision-making, habit. Guess what? They set me up for victory. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for each person that's here, Lord. God, I pray. Uh, God, I pray that as we go from this place, Lord, don't let us rush off to the next thing. Forget everything you might have said to us today or the challenges you might have laid before us. Lord, I pray that uh, God, let the word of God, let it take root in our heart. God, let it germinate. Let us ponder on it, God. Let it, let it do the work that you want it to do in each of our lives today, Father. And Lord, I pray for protection as each person leaves here. Uh, God, as we go into the next week. And Lord, I pray that uh, everybody here, everyone in this room, that in the next seven days, give us a chance. Give us a chance to tell somebody about the greatness of you, about the love of Jesus. Give us an opportunity to tell someone that doesn't know it yet. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Awesome. God bless you. don't have to rush off if you don't want to. We've got more tea and coffee over there and biscuits and stuff. And uh, If anybody would like prayer this morning, we're just going to sort of hang around up the front here for a bit and we'd love to, to pray with you. I believe that, that, that uh, prayer is an important part of what we do. I believe that God connects with us through prayer. So we're going to wait up the front here and we'll, we'd love to pray with some of you if that's what you'd like. Other than that, guys, have a fantastic week. Uh, we'll see you all next week. We'll be here again, same place. Hope you are too. If not... Make sure you're somewhere. Amen.